I'm John Crawl. Today on No Limits, we're going to talk about rad science. We're going to talk about skate park physics, a new exhibit at the Indiana State Museum set in a realistic park atmosphere that explores the science of doing all those twists, turns, and rolls. My guests are from the museum, Tracy Cromwell, Director of Collections, and Rebecca Smith, Director of Education. And from exhibit sponsor, Purdue University, Daryl Mason, physics teaching assistant and a skateboarder. Please join the conversation. Call 866-476-3881. Email nolimits at wfyi.org. Facebook is nolimitswfyi. Twitter is wfyi. Now, this news. No Limits is made possible by Apparatus, managing IT infrastructure so companies don't have to. It's advanced IT made simple. Learn more at apparatus.net. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Kroll, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. We're going to be talking today about a new rad science exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. It's about uh, skateboard physics. We're going, to, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one, I can assure you. If you would like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at wfyi. My guests are Tracy Cromwell, who is the Director of Collections at the Indiana State Museum, her colleague, Rebecca Smith, who is the Director of Education, and uh, sort of the outlier in this conversation, probably the only one of us who's tried to apply some of these principles, Daryl Mason, who is a physics teaching assistant at Purdue University, which is the exhibit sponsor, and a skateboarder. It's a pity people actually can't see the skateboard. He brought it into the studio. With I, am, I am very fond of my skateboard. <laughs> well, welcome to all of Thank all you. of you. Thank you. So I'm, I'm just going to toss this out. Normally I kind of direct the questions, but I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, A, how did the idea of doing something like this, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I suspect you're going to get quite a few people coming to, to see this, uh, but it's not something I've necessarily heard of being done before where the idea came from, and, you know, once the idea <laughs> came about, how you went about executing it. Well, Tracy, yeah. we do traveling exhibits at the museum. Um, it sort of lightens the load for our staff that we're not creating exhibits on our own, and we shop around for traveling exhibits that we think will interest our visitors that are fun and interactive, and we always look for that educational element to those exhibits as well. And typically our science-related traveling exhibits do really well in visitation, and people really interact with them in a great way. So when one of our staff saw this exhibit in Las Vegas, where it originated from, um, he said, we should do this. Of course, he was a skateboarder as well, <laughs> so he thought it was really cool. So there was a certain conflict of interest there. But <laughs> Yeah, I think this guy, really he's a curator at the museum. He is really, really into skateboarding, and he liked the exhibit. So it just seemed like it'd be fun for many generations of families to come and experience. So walk me through what the exhibit is like. I mean, tell me what, you know, what there, I would see. 
There are many components. Um, most of them are interactive. Um, there's an orientation theater. Um, it's called the Vert Theater. Um, it explains some of the difficult tricks that are done by skateboarders, um, talks about professional skateboarders. Then we have the History Bowl, talks about the history of skateboarding. There's a lot of history behind skateboarding itself. Um, and then it sort of breaks down into interactives where people do skateboarding movements or tricks and learn how the physics behind those movements make them able to do those tricks. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this one to Rebecca. Uh, those of us who are not quite as limber as we used to be, uh, how, you know, the interactive piece of this, how, how do you do that to, you know, make sure that we don't come away with broken bones? Well, I would say, first of all, know your own limits uh, and your own limitations. Uh, and then I would also say that it's... Keep in mind the title of the show. <laughs> I did. The pun was intended. Uh, right, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, but I... I don't think that there's anything dangerous uh, within the interactives. It is still a museum and it's still an exhibition, so we don't want to put anyone in danger. We're not going to be asking you to get on a skateboard and roll down the halls of the museum, uh, <laughs> although that might be tempting to some. We have nice, smooth floors in the museum. Uh, but the interactives, the real idea behind it is to make sure that people who are not scientists like Tracy and me uh, we can understand how these physical uh, parts of skateboarding actually occur because I don't think a lot of skateboarders consider it either. Well, Daryl, how did you get involved in this? Were you drafted or were you a volunteer? <laughs> I was. Uh, it was more of a, a drafting process. <laughs> I, I ride my longboard to campus most days when it's uh, when it's not raining outside, uh, and my advisor noticed that there was a skateboard in the lab. And when the department chair was asking the faculty if anyone knew anything about skateboarding, my advisor put my name forward because he knew that, <laughs> well, I have a piece of wood with four wheels on the bottom that I ride around occasionally. Uh, and I know physics, so obviously I'm an expert in both <laughs> physics and skateboarding. <laughs> and Sorry. if you weren't necessarily an expert in both, are you an expert now? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So, so tell me about, I mean, how long, first I, I probably should ask, because I think this is, you know, all of these things, these fascinations um, that almost become little subcultures. I, you know, and I, I say that I was, I was a triathlete for 12 years, and that's its own weird little world, too. Um, so, you know, at what point did you start skateboarding, and, you know, at what point did you also begin to think of it all as a means of transportation and not just, you know, enjoyment. So I first picked up a skateboard in grade six or seven or eight. I don't remember exactly when. I had a few friends in school who skateboarded, and they were they were the cool kids. I liked hanging out with them, and so I picked up a skateboard out of mainly out of uh, peer pressure. Uh, I was absolutely abysmal at it. I was really bad. Um, and a, a few years later, I got, you know, without having improved my skills really at all, I managed to get a rather, um, a rather demoralizing injury and sort of put, uh, put my skateboard away for a few years. And then when I started my undergrad uh, degree, I had a number of friends who rode longboards around campus. It was the great way to get around. The sidewalks were at least in decent condition. Uh, and so again, more or less under peer pressure, I picked up a longboard 
and I still have that longboard, and I have put a large number of miles on it, gotten lots of injuries off of it as well, uh, but none of them have uh, none of them have managed to convince me that it's not worth my time. And so what is, you keep referring to it as a longboard. There probably are people out who are listening to this who don't speak skateboards, so we probably ought to explain what the difference is between a traditional skateboard and a longboard. So the term skateboard traditionally applies to any piece of wood with a couple of wheels stuck to the bottom. People that have experience with them tend to differentiate them more into something that they still call a skateboard and something that they call a longboard. Longboards tend to be much longer, much heavier. They have larger wheels. Uh, They're generally designed to be stable at higher speeds. They're not meant to be doing tricks. Mm -hmm. Whereas what most people think of when you say skateboard is usually much shorter. Uh, It's a little bit lighter weight. You have the the kicks at each end that, that allow you to do the fancy tricks. Uh, that's traditionally what most people think when you say skateboard. Mm-hmm. Technically, a longboard is a skateboard. I was having a, a disagreement with one of my friends about this the other day. We looked it up on Wikipedia, which is apparently the be-all and end-all, <laughs> and it, it groups longboards in as a subclass of skateboard. If you are just joining us, we are talking about the new Rad Science exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. If you'd like to, which is it's really about the physics of skateboarding, about how skateboards work, and about how people can do the things they do with them. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at wfyi. So in terms of the exhibit, uh, you know, when I go to the museum and I walk in there and I say, okay, I want to see the Rad Science exhibit, what's the first thing I'm going to see? I'll start with Tracy. You're going you're gonna to walk right into the History Bowl. It talks about the history of skateboarding. There's an example of every skateboard that we're talking about. Okay. Including a hoverboard. Back to the Future time. Back to the Future. We're going to go the full Marty McFly here? We are. We do. (laughs) Just to make it fun. Um, And that's a good starting point so people understand just what skateboarding is. And the rest of the exhibit then takes them into this world of all the cool and fun things you can do on a skateboard. And when you say a history bowl, is it like one of the bowls that you see when you're watching, you know, what is it, the X Games or something like that? Yep. It's like that. Um it's got the curved sides. You're walking on the floor of the gallery, but then it's, it curves up, so it does look like a skating bowl that people skate in. And are there people who will actually be skating in that? No. No. no they will not. <laughs> so you're going to see. So when I see the examples of the skateboards, like is it, take it back, I'm presuming, like most things, the technology has improved greatly. I mean, I, Without giving too much away, I'm old enough to remember when a skateboard was <laughs> literally just a board <laughs> with, yeah. with some wheels at the bottom. And there's a lot more technology that goes into it, a lot more design work. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, skateboards started out with roller skate wheels on the bottom of a board in the 50s. So, And then they went over to clay wheels and then urethane wheels. And I think that's really when the technology started to pick up with different types of boards. So. How, did, how did you go about doing the research on this? Because I, I can't believe that there, 
you know that the this was a, a well plowed field of of scientific inquiry. Not at all for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not at all for me. Okay. Uh, so it, when I was given the assignment, uh, like anything, I attack it uh, and did a did a lot of research on the internet. A lot of block sites uh, from we are the state museum, <laughs> so there's a lot of blocked websites uh, that we couldn't get into. Uh, but the other part of that is to really start getting to know the skating community within Indianapolis. Uh, so we have been really fortunate to connect with some of the people who are involved with a movement called Indie Skate Park Advocates, and they've really uh, allowed us to connect with the community and with some of the skate shops in town as well. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of just a lot of internet research. There are some books about the history of skateboard technology. About there's a an, a real industry for making your own skateboards at this point. So we actually are working with Marwood, which is a veneer company down in Jeffersonville, and they sell veneer to make skateboard decks, which I didn't know a thing about. And in terms of, of, of doing that kind of, re I mean, I should ask the obvious question here. In doing the research, did you actually try skateboarding yourself? <laughs> Tracy's shaking her head. It's a, it's, You're it's not, not getting me on a board. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a visual medium here, no. Tracy, so the head shake doesn't work. John, I'm, great. <laughs> I'm not even great on a bike, so uh, a skateboard's just another another accident for me. Uh, but So I'm, I'm smart enough to know that that should be left up to other people. <laughs> okay, but in terms of, of doing the research... Uh, you know, a because it was new and and different. What was the most surprising thing you learned? Well, I think I think the history of how skateboards are are constructed is pretty interesting, and how that that has changed over time in a relatively short period of time. In the last fifty or sixty years, it has really come up as a sport and blossomed. Uh, so that's that was pretty exciting, uh, exciting and interesting to me. That and just what the skate community is about and how they get information out within the community. And is that, uh, Daryl, since you are to some degree part of that community, I mean, what is the thing people don't get about the skateboarding community? So a lot of people see skateboarders and they see graffiti artists. They see um, sort of uh, miscreant teenagers but that's that's not that doesn't represent everyone in the skateboarding community. That only represents a small part of it. Um, so I know a lot of people uh, are often unhappy that everyone gets tarred with that same brush. Whereas a lot of people they just want to go out and ride, have some fun, maybe pick up a few scars, um, but aren't aren't interested at all in in disrupting the peace. We can say they're just out to have uh, have a good time, and generally they don't want trouble. If you are just joining us, we are talking about a new exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. It's about skateboard physics. The, uh, the title of it is Rad Science. Uh, we should probably talk about how you arrived at the title at some point as well. My guests are Tracy Cromwell, who is the Director of Collections at the Indiana State Museum, Rebecca Smith, who is Director of Education, and Daryl Mason, who is a physics teaching assistant at Purdue. Purdue is one of the exhibit sponsors. And if you would like to join the conversation, you can do so at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI or on Twitter at WFYI. I am John Crawl. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us.
Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. We're talking today about the new Rad Science exhibit that will be opening soon at the Indiana State Museum. It's about uh, skateboard physics, and it's got a realistic-looking park-like atmosphere or setting for for the exhibit. My guests are Tracy Cromwell, who is the Director of Collections at the Indiana State Museum, Rebecca Smith, who is the Director of Education at the museum, and from Purdue University, which is uh, an exhibit sponsor, Daryl Mason, who is a physics teaching assistant and a skateboarder, who uh, sort of got drafted into working with the exhibit because he, he has both of those passions. So we were talking before we went to the break about sort of the culture of, of, of skateboarding, and I'd asked whether there was going to be an opportunity for people to to skate in the museum, and the answer, sadly, was no. <laughs> that, you know, that you're not going to put all of the other exhibits at risk <laughs> by letting people run loose in the, in the museum. But there apparently there will be an opportunity for people to do, put into practice some of the things they're learning about at the museum. If, if you could talk a little bit about what that opportunity is, Rebecca. Yes. So we will be hosting what we are calling ISM Skate Park on September 12th. So that's a week after the exhibition opens. And we are going to have an actual skate park with ramps uh, in front of the building in our front drive. So from 9 until 11.30, people will have the opportunity to participate in a skate clinic and that is mainly for beginners or intermediate skaters and that's seven bucks for members 15 for non-members and then from 11:30 until 2 it's just going to be free skate so even if you aren't into skating or maybe you're like me and a little clumsy or a lot clumsy the other option for you are exhibitors who will be there we'll have some vendors we'll also have a lot of activities so it's going to be a nice family day and we'll just pray for really nice weather that day uh, to help promote the exhibition. And, of course, you'll be able to visit the exhibit while you're there. And when, when does the exhibit open? September 5th. September 5th? Yes. Okay. But, obviously, members, I presume, can have a sneak peek. Yes. If you're a member of the Indiana State Museum, you can come um, September 1st at 3 until 730. Okay. And, Daryl, I'm presuming since you got sort of drafted into into working with us. Have you seen the exhibit? I have not yet seen the exhibit. Oh, you have not. Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> yes, I am. What, what do you, well, Good response, Cyril. <laughs> uh, so what do you hope to see out of the exhibit? I mean, what are the things that are going to be important to you? And I'm going to ask that both as a skateboarder and, you know, as an aspiring physicist, <laughs> you know, in terms of the principles involved. Well, the skateboarders always want to see uh, fancy ramps and things to do tricks on and, and places to show off. Um, and as long as, there's, as long as there's plenty of that, most skateboarders will be happy. Somewhere where they can showcase their tricks, um, maybe get some, uh, get some exposure, have a good time. And at least from the physics standpoint, uh, the opportunity is always there to discuss the interaction with how physics controls the kinds of tricks you can pull off, how you have to pull off a trick, all the things you have to keep in mind when you're trying to do uh, some absolutely radical flip or something. Uh, there's a lot of things you have to remember about how physics works that will determine whether or not you land on your board 
or somewhere that your board isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a – let me ask this because obviously I'm assuming you've been – you've always been interested in science, right? I mean, you're pretty much you're pursuing it pretty seriously. When you started skateboarding, were those kinds of calculations one that you made or was it more of uh, an intuitive process for you? I first started skateboarding before I really knew a lot of physics. I was oh, 10, 12 years old, uh, and physics was this thing that I sort of knew a couple of things about. But most of my experience about, uh, about physics had been from falling down, you know, and, and the, the generally the, the kind of experience that everyone gets about the laws of physics that, well, I mean, you live in a world where the laws of physics apply, and by simply doing things, you will get some experience in physics. So for most of my time, uh, my early days riding a skateboard, I didn't really understand how the physics worked. Mm -hmm. But I picked up longboarding when I was partway through my undergrad degree in physics. Uh, and at that point, I started to think about how the physical laws applied, uh, how I could try to, uh, to push the laws of physics in my favor to get a little bit better performance out of, uh, out of my skateboarding. When you were talking about that, I, I had a flashback. I, when I was very, very young, I was a, a diver for a while, and I had a diving coach. Um, I mean, a, you know, competitive like springboard diving and all, all of that. Who said the one principle you need to remember, the only principle in terms of divers' math, he called it, is this: flat equals pain. Yeah, so. If you are just joining us, we are talking about the new Rad Science exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send an email to nolimits at wfyi.org. Find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi or on Twitter at wfyi. Rebecca, what do you hope when people come to see this exhibit that, that they will take away from it, what they will learn from it? I'm assuming you hope they'll have a good time. Oh, yeah, and, and I think... I think, and this this goes for me too, that the laws of physics are broken down in a way that I can understand and appreciate. So our job as an institution is to break things down for people so that they can enjoy them and so that they can absorb some of that information. And that's what I hope for for people who come to visit this exhibition. Could you give me an example of the ways, uh, you know, one of the ways that they break it down so that you can understand a, a complicated principle of physics? Sure. That, I will try. Uh, one thing that I think if is... If not, we have Daryl here. To <laughs> right, we have the <laughs> physicists here. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting is they actually break down a couple of common tricks in skateboarding, like the ollie and the kickflip, and they do that in almost slow motion, so on big screens within the exhibition. So you can actually see how that trick works in slow motion, which I think most skateboarders probably don't consider either. They just know... How, what they need to do to move their body to stay on the board. So uh, I think that's one thing that is broken down nicely. That and things like friction, we don't even think about friction on a regular basis until we're slipping on ice or tripping over stones. And people will have the chance to test different surfaces and test how friction helps them or the lack of hinders them. So in terms of, uh, we probably ought to break it down a little bit here, Daryl. What is an ollie? What is a kickflip? An ollie is sort of the basic foundation for almost all tricks. 
It's where you get your board basically completely off the ground. Uh, nothing but air underneath your wheels for usually some fraction of a second. <laughs> a kickflip is uh, something you do during an ollie. It's one of the, the basic tricks that a lot of people try to start with. Uh, you push your board just so that it, it spins once along its length, uh, and then you catch it with your feet and then land on it. So walk me through, uh, then. The, the Rebecca gave you the setup. What are the principles of physics involved in doing each of those tricks? Well, to start one of these tricks, you have to push down on one end of the board. Typically, it's the back end. Uh, and then the rest of the board lifts up. I mean, it's a, the principle of how levers work. You have you push on one side, the rest of it lifts up. You then drag your foot along the length of the board, your, your front foot typically, the, the foot you don't use to push off uh, on the back of the board. You drag that along the board, and because of, of the way the board is now oriented, the friction between the surface of the board and your foot, part of that is pointing vertically up. Part of that's also pointing forward, so you tend to, to move forward somewhat. But there is part of this, this frictional force is acting in, in the vertical direction against gravity. And if you have enough of it, you can get the whole board to basically pick up a little bit in the vertical direction. Uh, and you can get the back wheels off the ground as well. We've got a tweet from a listener named Ben. And if you, you'd like to reach out to us via Twitter, you can do so at WFYI. Ben says, does the exhibition speak to any of the advancements in skateboard tech in the last 30 years? Tracy or Rebecca, I'll let you, either one of you take that. Yeah, it, it, it explains a lot of the advancements in skateboarding from the beginnings of skateboarding all the way up to contemporary skateboarding. Um, this exhibit is relatively new, so of course it does include all of those new technologies that have happened in skateboarding as well as some of the professionals in skateboarding who are pushing those limits. What was the hardest part of pulling this exhibition together? Um, there are a lot of difficulties in doing a traveling exhibit just because it's not your exhibit. So, yeah. um, so you got to adapt it to your space to the you know deal with all the logistics and all of that. Most certainly, and really understand the exhibit that you're bringing to your institution who the visitors are who are going to want to see this and you really need to market it to them and understand what the exhibit is so they really enjoy their time while they're at the museum and for this one we want to think that um, multi-generation families will really enjoy this I mean skateboarding is still popular today really young kids are getting into it but people who are like my age in their mid-40s did it when they were younger so their kids are probably enjoying it just as much as they did when they were younger so Mom and dads who skateboarded when they were teens can come and bring their kids now and enjoy all of this together. What's the coolest part of, of the exhibit, Rebecca? And I'll let Tracy answer that one, too. The, like my favorite one. component or yeah, just in general? Well, and the one when you walked up and you saw it and said, wow. I, just, I, I think that the subject matter, I think tying something like physics, which to me can be kind of dry, <laughs> sorry, Daryl, uh, okay. to, to a topic that I can understand. I think breaking things down like that in general is pretty cool, um, teaching people when they don't realize they're learning. But there are so many things to play with in this exhibition. 
which I think is also pretty cool. Uh, it, you can keep your mind busy, but you can also keep your hands busy. And there's a lot of things that, like Tracy said, would attract a lot of different audiences. But even adults like to play. So, yeah. And this really offers you the opportunity to try some of these things so, out. Uh, again, establishing that people are not going to be allowed to ride their skateboards through the halls of the museum. Right. How, are, how, how do they have the chance to play? There are a lot of hands-on components. Uh, the friction hill that I was just discussing, uh, you actually, people will actually have three different surfaces that they can run up and down to feel the differences between a smooth surface and a rougher surface. You physically run with their legs? Physically feet? run with their legs, yes. Okay. There's uh, an activity with centripetal force. There's, like I said, the slow motion breakdown of different types of tricks. There is an element to show how balance on boards works and and then there is also things like simple machines which assist us in our everyday lives and we don't consider it as thoroughly as we maybe should or could. Tracy what do you think the coolest part is? Um, I really like Newton's pool. Um, <laughs> it which sounds is, really funny. Yeah. Um, it is a component of the exhibit that talks about Newton's laws of motion with 16 monitors showing skateboarders using those laws as they skateboard, but it's actually built inside of what looks like a pool, a swimming pool. And that relates to skateboarding because skateboarders liked to use emptied out swimming pools because it was a great surface to skateboard on. So they're combining the two into this one interactive. And it really, like Becca said, it brings people into marry up the the skate, the cool parts of skateboarding with those laws of physics. I've gotten an email from a listener named Andrew. If you'd like to reach out to us by email, you can do so at no limits at wfyi.org. You also can find us on Facebook at no limits wfyi, or you can give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Andrew says, I'm very excited for the exhibit. As a longtime Indianapolis resident and skateboarder, I hope this raises awareness for more public places to skateboard around the city. Currently, there is one park that is over 15 years old and quite outdated. I'm going to ask this of, of Daryl. I mean, is that one of your hopes with, with the exhibit? I mean, it, to, to boil down what Andrew's saying is that I sort of hope that they'll treat, start treating skateboarding A, more seriously and B, with more respect. Absolutely. By giving... Uh, skateboarders quality places where they can go out and skate and have fun it means they're less likely to go out and uh, and skateboard on sort of the kinds of things that we don't typically want uh, skateboarded on like uh, like handrails downstairs great for grinding on but <laughs> I mean most people don't want to see someone skateboarding down their handrail uh, so by by raising awareness, hopefully we can get um, some more newer facilities built in more than one location around the city that will hopefully give skateboarders a place where they can go have fun and, uh, and hopefully not disturb uh, what other people are trying to do in places that aren't typically designated for skateboarding. Does, uh, does the exhibit speak to that? that issue directly in any way or is and was there sort of a hope in doing this that people would look at skateboarding in a, in a different way tracy i'll let you go first and then rebecca um the exhibit itself does not but since we are working with groups here in town who really want to get that point across um 
we are going to add some additional signage and information, possibly videos, um, and have people come in and talk about that from their groups. So we're hoping to add that component for sure. Rebecca. Yeah, Indie Skate Park Advocates, which I mentioned a little bit yeah. earlier, they are advocating for just what Andrew is asking for, and they are looking at simple things, which they were calling skate dots. And those are just simple elements that people are allowed to grind on. So they are there just for that that specific reason. What's a uh, what would be a, a typical skate dot? I mean, that, that, that's a, <laughs> now I'm not part of the group, but um, no, maybe Daryl can speak <laughs> to that as well. A skate dot. Like this is this is my first time hearing about it, but I will uh, venture an opinion. Um, you don't always need to build a full skate park with you know many thousands of square feet of of ramps and bowls and all of that. Sometimes all you need is just a couple of hundred square feet with like one or two ramps, a rail, somewhere where someone can go out, have some fun, practice a few things, uh, without actually needing a large full scale um, full scale construction. And Rebecca, you talked about how you you talked with members of the the skateboarding community. What were their concerns, and what kind of counsel did they offer you in putting the exhibition together? I think it's something that actually Daryl alluded to, that they want to take that stigma away of that skateboarders are out to cause trouble because that's not what most of the community is about. They also, just like Andrew is asking for, they want places to skate. And most people are not interested in destroying public property. So if we give them those places to skate around the city, the hope is that they won't, they won't skate in places that they shouldn't be. And what sort of places, I mean, in terms of, of a stout, are, are there ways that we can convert, you know, how much space do you need to do something like that, I guess is what I'm saying, Daryl. Well, the more space you have, obviously, the larger a park you can build. But you don't always need to build these massive, expansive parks. Uh, and indeed, it's often better to have more smaller parks distributed around the city because it's often easier to get to those versus having one large central location. If you are just joining us, we are talking about the new Rad Science exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. It is about uh, skateboard physics and promises to be a lot of fun. My guests are Tracy Cromwell and Rebecca Smith, both of whom are from the Indiana State Museum, and Daryl Mason, who's a skateboarder and physics teaching assistant at Purdue University, which is a sponsor of the exhibition. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a buzz at 866-476-3881 or send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. I'm John Kroll. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Kroll, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're talking about the new Rad Science exhibit at the Indiana State Museum. My guests are Tracy Cromwell and Rebecca Smith. They are respectively the director of collections and director of education at the museum, and Daryl Masson, who is a physics teaching assistant at Purdue University and a skateboarder. Purdue is one of the exhibition sponsors. If you'd like to Join the conversation. Please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. Tim, welcome to the program. 
Hi, how's it going? Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Tracy. Hey, Tim. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming you guys know each other. <laughs> we do. He's part of Indie Skate Park Advocate. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Tim, what's on your mind? Not much. I'm just calling in to join in the conversation. Um, is it is it Darren? Daryl. 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 I'm sorry, Daryl. Yeah, you. Uh, I conveniently the conversation kind of turned towards skate parks right as I called in, um, and the skate spot conversation came up, and uh, you almost got it right on. Um, yes. Which is definitely <laughs> what our goal is: is to uh, try and form a group of skateboarders that um, are that other group that's not the vandals and the vagrants and uh get organized and try and be there for the city when they have questions about what kind of facilities to build for the future generations of skateboarders in indianapolis um so yeah we have like a whole different size of skate parks that we try and promote and inform because you know the old model was that it's a million dollar multi-million dollar project to get a skate park built in in a city and uh, it can be much simpler than that. So, Tim, let me ask this. How are you going to, you know, it sounds like you see the using this exhibition to some degree as a, a tool to pro, promote awareness, um, maybe advocate for uh, some some different kind of policies than have been in place before. How do you plan to use the exhibition to achieve those goals? Well, we're just excited that anything is there to promote skateboarding other than, like, a bad rap um so we're not you know it's great that they're doing this and we're really happy that they're um that rebecca and tracy have reached out to us and are collaborating with us because it is a way to promote our vision you know behind the advocates and uh just anything getting the word out um that stuff is happening um in indianapolis because it has been sleeping for 15 years now like we haven't built a new park since major taylor um, and it is very outdated. Um, and now we have a lot has changed. Um, my good friend and coworker Bart Smith started a, a park building company out of Bloomington, Indiana. So now we have a professional insured park building company out of Indiana, which will help a lot in the bidding process. Um, we have a lot of older skateboarders now that are very devoted to see this changing. So just raising the awareness and knowing that um, there are people out there that want to help in a, in a positive way to improve skateboarding in Indianapolis. Do you think a lot of people from the, the skateboarding community are going to turn out for um, the exhibition? I really hope so because I, I've been skateboarding now for 20 years, um, and I've seen a lot of attempts at skateboarding to try and connect to you know the general population for lack of a better term and uh it's hard to do because it is such a a, you know a culture it's it can't be described as a sport or a hobby it's it's something in between it's you end up living this life when you you know when you pick up a skateboard like i don't know what you can do for 20 years and still progress every single day um when you go out you know there's not very many activities that you can do that and and see it and you feel it um, you know, if you hit the ground less or you hit the ground more when you're learning. Um, so, yeah. Well, let me ask uh, one more question, and I'm going to let you go, Tim. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you most hope to see? Have you seen the exhibition? Um, you have yeah, seen I got the exhibition. the other day, and I guess that's what I'm saying. Is the ex- I, I got kind of lost there on a tangent, but yeah. uh, the, ex- 
the exhibition I think is, is really good. It's a really, it was, you know, there's a lot of skateboarders involved in, in designing it. Uh-huh. So I think it really will connect to people. And I think it connects to skateboarders too. Like Rebecca and Tracy were saying earlier, um, it's a part of skateboarding that doesn't really get thought about. Um, like I was, I was in engineering at Purdue for a little while and, uh, when I started thinking about the physics of skateboarding, it starts to freak me out. You know, going down <laughs> 12 stairs and flipping your board and catching it and landing on the ground and rolling away, it doesn't really make sense that it's possible. But there's people doing it every day. So to make that connection and, you know, even the skateboarders that might see that, hey, there's science behind this, uh, mm-hmm. this could be a, a connection to something that they didn't think about and maybe spark an interest in science and maybe we'll have some future engineers, physicists, etc., you know, coming with a background in skateboarding. I lied. One more very quick question. <laughs> the one, sure. since you have seen the exhibition, what's the coolest thing in it? The one thing that people ought to see. Oh, my gosh. Well, I dorked out on the uh, the ramp building. It's real ramps. Like, I, you know, I build skate parks, and uh, I've been building wood ramps, and they're actually real ramps in there which I thought was really cool. The tile band in the, um, in the Newton's pool. I actually took a picture of it when I was in there because <laughs> I thought it was so cool looking. And then uh, definitely the slow motion uh, with the wheel that you can go backwards, forwards, slow motion, regular motion. It's just, uh, I think, a really cool thing so people can see everything that's going on with these skateboard tricks that a lot of skateboarders just do on muscle memory. Well, thank you, Tim, very much for calling in and and sharing uh, your insights and, uh, I think, guiding some people toward what they really ought to see at the exhibition. Take care, and thank you again for for joining the conversation. Certainly. Bye-bye. So we probably ought to tell people again real quickly. The exhibit opens to the general public on September 5th. What is the cost if people want to do it? I'll, I'll start with you, Rebecca. Well, it's free for members. Okay. It's $13 for an adult non-member and eight fifty for a child non-member. So, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost that. That's okay. It's $13 for an adult non-member and eight fifty for a child non-member. Okay. So, if you, and are there family discounts, pam, family packages, or anything like that? If you purchase a family membership at the museum, it's $75 a year, and that gets you a lot of membership benefits, a lot of free admission. If you come to the museum often or more than a couple times a year, it's definitely worth your expense. It also gets you, it's within a network of science museums around the country, so it gets you discounts in other science museums, like, I mean, even outside, like in Chicago. Okay. And how long, if it opens on September 5th, Tracy, how long will it run? It is open until January 3rd. And so that includes our holiday season celebration. So you pay one price, you get in to see all of that. Um, From middle of November to the beginning of January, we have our holiday exhibit as well, which is very popular, see Santa, all of that. Um, And now get to see Rad Science, too, included in the ticket price. So you got about four months to come see this if you want. Yep. If you want to, is there any place online or anything like that where they can get a sneak peek and, and get a look at what it, some of it might look like? Rebecca, you're nodding your head up and down. Well, there's so. some information on our website, which is indianamuseum.org. So you can find out more information about that and about September 12th on our website. 
and that is when when uh, your liability insurer you know starts breaking out the bay locks. That's true. We did have to take extra insurance for the twelfth. Yes, you, you, you had to had to do that. And and Daryl, um, what part of this are you most excited about seeing? I'm generally more interested in sort of how all of these things are built, like how you put skateboards together, all of the uh, the subtle differences you can get by changing how you build a deck uh, and by changing how you build ramps, different materials you use, like a concrete ramp and a wooden ramp. They're going to they're gonna respond differently as you ride over them. Uh, and the different construction methods you use, that's always really intrigued me. It's one of the reasons why I ended up going into physics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing. And I probably should ask this. Uh, how did Purdue get involved in this? Um, actually, our current head of marketing used to do marketing for Purdue University. <laughs> so um, okay. she thought it would be a great connection with that university and contacted them to see if they wanted to sponsor. It turns out they have a great program on concussion research as well. So it's sort of <laughs> and the all cool together. Yeah. yeah, it works out really great for us. And in terms of... Uh, being an exhibit sponsor, what all did they provide, other than, I presume, some cash? Yes, they provided some cash, but mm-hmm. um, they are going to be doing a program with the education department. Yeah, so they've also been working with the promotional as well, so it's kind of on, on both ends. We promote them. They also are helping us to promote the exhibition. And then we are trying to work right now with the neurotrauma team to actually bring them into the museum to talk a little bit about concussion research and what they've been doing as far as helmets go. So stay tuned for that and check the website for that information as well. Well, I'm going to thank you all for, for joining. I've learned an awful lot about skateboarding, <laughs> learned a little bit about physics. It sounds like a, a fascinating exhibition, and I, I will look forward to seeing it myself. My guests here, we're, we're actually going to do something a little different here on No Limits. My guests for this segment have been Tracy Cromwell and Rebecca Smith from the Indiana State Museum and Daryl Masson who's a skateboarder and physics teaching assistant for Purdue University. Uh, They have been talking about the Rad Science Exhibit. We're going to talk now, and I'd like to thank you all for for joining us. Thank you. enjoyed talking with you. Um, We're going to talk a bit about uh, a a new um, partnership. Partnership's not really the right term here, but uh, a program, television program at WFYI that grew out of a No Limits interview the show is going to be premiering this evening. It's about former Indianapolis Mayor Bill Hudnut. Those who are regular listeners of the show know that uh, that former Mayor Hudnut has been a guest twice, uh, once in December and once in May. He is battling uh, cancer and congestive heart failure right now. And the program that is going to air is called Bill Hudnut Twilight Reflections Evening Meditations. We're going to play a little bit of that, a preview for the show. You're going to hear my voice just a touch, and then Steve Goldsmith and Mayor Bill himself. Take risks. Think big. That was the mantra of the man known as Indianapolis's Minister Mayor. I would not have built a stadium without a football team. Who would do that? Now battling cancer, William Hudnut sat down with me reflect on his remarkable life. I tried to do what was right. I cared about people, and I tried to do the little things that made a difference. That was a preview of uh, Bill Hudnut, Twilight Reflections, Evening Meditations. 
um, which is uh, an intimate look at a really fascinating man, Bill Hudnut, and a pivotal period in Indianapolis and Indiana's history. It's going to be airing tonight on Channel 20 WFYI at 7.30 p.m. I think it's airing also tomorrow morning at like 5 in the morning, if I'm I'm not mistaken. Joining me in the studio are are two people who are instrumental in pulling all of this together, uh, Jim Simmons and Eric Hartvig. Welcome, both of you. Thanks, John. Thank you. So uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, how this is going to be different than the, the radio interviews that people may have heard already. Jim, I'll start with you. Oh, it's going to be a lot different in the sense, that, well, because it's CV. Um, that's, an, yeah. I guess, an obvious thing. But in the sense, you get to see a lot of his expressiveness and the way he's living now. Uh, a lot of this was shot up in his uh, vacation resort, up uh, retreat, up in the Adirondacks. So you get to see a little bit about his lifestyle, and you get to see a little bit about uh, how he's kind of evolved from the days when he was the mayor here to where he is now. It's interesting to to watch his face when he talks. Because his reactions are so interesting. There's one scene in this when John asks him about, did, did you ever have a crisis of faith or, or of, of belief? Because everyone knows his background is that he was a minister. And then all of a sudden he faces all these difficult times as mayor. And the look on his face, he just immediately goes, no, no, I never did. And just the look on his face is just so, so straightforward that you go like, wow, this is a guy who had a belief structure that no matter what he did, um, it supported him all the time, no matter what the challenges were, and no matter what the profession was, and no matter what his health is like now. So uh, that was kind of amazing to see his face. Eric, and I, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try to put this delicately, but you were just a little bit too fresh-faced uh, to probably remember a time when Bill Hudnut was mayor. <laughs> yeah, in the, the city. Yeah, that that is true. I, I think I'm here to represent the. The, the few people I'm assuming out there in Indianapolis who haven't, you know, heard of him or don't know much about William Hudnut. Um, I obviously had heard of him even not growing up in Indianapolis, but, you know, I'd seen the statue down at the bench. And it was just really an honor to, to be a part of, of kind of discovering him through this project. What did you learn about him? I mean, what was the thing that leapt out? Because you, you did come to him fresh. You know, Jim, without giving a lot away, Jim and I worked here in this market through mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of those years. Yep. So we had those kind of memories. But, but you know. what what you know, what really s- struck me was just the personality this guy was. You know, he was he was large and physically and in just in in how people saw him and what he was able to do. I mean, basically, at the end of this, I'm like, what a. What a cool guy. I mean, everything that's awesome about Indianapolis seems to be started by him. You know, it's like he, he just really could get those those big visions through. And, that, and that Eric would frequently say that during it. He'd go, did he do that? Wow. Did, well, look at this. And we have a lot of pictures uh, in the show. And, and he would just, man, look at that. Look at him doing that. He was yeah. like, you know, it just was kind he of was, funny. He was mayor like a boss is what I kept saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things uh, I will say, having been involved, obviously, in the radio shows that we did and then and then in this i think one of the things that that it does is it creates a kind of depth i mean with radio there was a real immediacy and people were talking Mm -hmm. to him but one of the things that's really i think fascinating about about this show is that you're able to go back into that time with him to some degree and and see how he is reacting 
or talking about those things and seeing some of the pictures from that era yeah. are just yeah. fascinating. Probably ought to thank our, our yes. the folks who worked with us and yes, pulled a lot of the archival material together. Thanks, thanks. I w- we want to give a special thanks. We had a lot of help on the on the visuals for this from Wish TV and from the Indiana Historical Society and from Don Mitchell at the Indianapolis Star. But we want to save a special, and I want to say like special, 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 mm-hmm. a long train of special thank yous to Edward France and the University of Indianapolis Mayoral Archives, which was just a wealth uh, of of pictures of every aspect of, of what a politician does. And the mayoral archives is a fairly new resource, I think, and a lot of people um, should probably get on the U of Indy website and, and check it out because they've got a wealth of material. And the show is airing tonight yes, at is. 7.30. Will it be online for people who are not in, in this viewing area? Eric. I can I can answer that one. Yes, it will be online. Uh, typically, you know, it takes a little bit to take it from uh, from on air to the online, but you know, I'd, I'd say it would be online in a couple of days after tonight. Okay, so by by the weekend, yep. most likely there'll be a link that people can watch. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try and get it up on Friday for sure. Sounds good. <laughs> the show airs. It's Bill Hudnut, Twilight Reflections, Evening Meditations, and it will air tonight at seven thirty on Channel Twenty. It's an outgrowth of No Limits suggestion made by our listeners so we really appreciate that i am john kroll you've been listening to no limits thank you for joining us no limits is a production of 90.1 wfyi public radio indianapolis executive producer michelle johnson producer shannon cagle interactive media coordinator melissa davis technical producers cedric freeman and chris flood and board engineer joe hatcher abby terzini screens our calls no limits is made available through ipbs Indiana's public broadcasting stations.